Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be hearing from Pastor Kennedy Young, Jr. Kennedy Young Jr. assumes the role of lead pastor at Eastgate Missionary Baptist Church, situated in the Oak Cliff area of Dallas, Texas. He serves as a source of inspiration and support for the people of God's congregation in the Oak Cliff community. He holds a bachelor's degree in pastoral ministry from the Criswell College, located in Dallas, Texas. He also holds a master's degree in ministry from Clamp Divinity School, situated in Anderson, South Carolina and he is currently pursuing a doctoral degree in organizational leadership at Anderson University. Kennedy's objective is to facilitate the growth and fortification of Eastgate and other sacred vineyards of God through expository preaching, intercessory prayer, and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Without further ado, Pastor Kennedy Young, Jr. Well, God bless you on today. We're grateful for the opportunity to be before you today in this uh, great institution that has done so much for myself and for others and uh, we are beyond grateful to have each of you to come and to share in this time. I got a chance to sit where you're sitting to be with uh, people in my class like Dr. Danny Aiken and Shane Pruitt and others. Uh, We've heard from Dr. Henry Blackaby and E.K. Bailey when I was here as a student and um, Dr. Street was my favorite professor, him and H. Leroy Metz and all those guys who were serious about education. I wanna share with you a very uh, poignant thought to let you know that this small place does open major doors. So I want you to be faithful with your stewardship and your academic pursuit and continue to serve God through how you're serving him at this time. Would you bow in a word of prayer with me now as we go into our time together? God, we thank you that we can still give thanks with a grateful heart. Because you've done so much for us, you've looked beyond our faults and seen our needs. Thank you for giving us the gift of salvation that's free but was not cheap because of the debt your son and our Savior paid out on a hill called Calvary. Thank you for his love that is near and dear to us. Speak to us today, Lord, that we might both hear you and see you. Help us to be both practical in our living, and Lord, help us to love you more nearly and to follow you more dearly. Lord, it's to the end that the sinners might be reached, the slowful might rededicate, and these your saints be revived in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say thank you to Dr. Kramer for this opportunity, Dr. Juarez and others uh, for this opportunity to be before you today. Uh, Some of our church members have come, our director of music, Brother Jason Ward, our chair of finance, and some of our members that are here today, our scholarship committee and things of that nature. So we're grateful to God uh, to be here today. Lest I hold you too long, I want to uh, introduce you and invite you to go with me to the New Testament. 
a letter of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm grateful for my friend and brother, uh, Harold Pierce, that has come in this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We'll commence at verse 16 and we'll conclude at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and commencing at verse number 16. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Today I want to talk to you from this particular thought, joy for the journey. It seems that our culture both highlights and even celebrates turmoil. Seems that that is this incipient need that is before us and they continue to prod around this superfluous turmoil that everybody just has to be a part of and delve into. And to the point to where it can feel impossible that there is any semblance of joy. But might I add to you that Christian joy is not this giddy, ideological sense of happiness that cannot be devastated by illnesses, can't be devastated by economic change or difficulties or broken relationships or even the countless other vicissitudes and disappointments of life. But rather, our joy is confidence in God's immutability. That word immutable is just a $5 word. That means he doesn't change. Circumstances change. They're filled and chuck full of tyranny and circumventing items that fill the calendars of our hearts and minds. They seemingly crawl on the altar of our concern, and he desires for us to be thankful and rejoice no matter where life places us. It is the Apostle Paul who meets Jesus on this little podunk road called Damascus. His name is Saul and he becomes Paul and he's writing to this church in modern day northern Greece. In the Bible it's called Thessalonica and Claudius is the Roman leader and emperor at this time. He's writing this particular letter to encourage them in three areas of concern. Number one, he wants to encourage the Christians not only encourage them, but he wants to correct erroneous misinformation of the prophecies about Jesus Christ returning. He wants to also lastly share with them and provide additional uh, instructions in addressing criticism and spiritual growth in the body of Christ. Paul tried to go back to this place called Thessalonica not one time, but he tried to go back twice. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, the door was closed not once, but twice. And he didn't lose hope. He didn't lose joy in serving the Lord. 
Can I share something with you that I hope you will tweet and I hope you will keep in your personal reservoir for our reflection? And that is, closed doors don't eliminate God's open ears. I want you to think about that. Closed doors, when they say no to you, when the scholarship does not come, when that grandparent who was your bedrock of your family goes away, when they tell you we're not hiring and they have a hiring sign in the window, when the friendship becomes one-sided, when you become into this loveless relationship, just because there are closed doors, it does not eliminate God's open ears. So how do I get his open ears? I've got to rejoice, I've got to pray, and I've got to be thankful, not because of all things, but in all things. So today, our our central thought, our our, our thesis for today is, is that joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, it's the presence of God. Joy is not the absence of suffering. Friend, I need to tell you that it is the presence of God, and the objective of our lesson today is that you can experience an enormous amount of suffering and still be filled with delight. Because it is Jesus who tells us in John 16 and 33, in this life, you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 and 18, for we know that all things work together for the good of them who are called according to his purpose. That word, all things, is the Greek word, sunageo, where we get the English word, the etymology for the word synergy. It is where two separate entities come together to work on a common project for the good of the project and not themselves. He's saying our good days and our bad days work together in synergy to help us to continue to allow our weakness to lean on his strength. Can I ask you today, what weakness do you have that God's strength can't hold? What prayer concern do you have that he won't hear? What friend do you need he can't be? (laughs) What financial institution do you need that God cannot fill? I think the bigger question is this, what's keeping you from being all God wants you to be? Doing all God wants you to do and having all God wants you to have because of the doldrums of life. It is here today that that there are three things I want to give for our consideration. Number one, he says, if you're going to have joy for the journey in verse 16, he says that there has to be constant joy. He said there has to be constant joy. He, because this particular church is entrenched in bitterness, they are enraptured and they are entangled in disappointment and they are soiled with sadness. It is that disappointment has not just packed an overnight bag, it has bagged up a U-Haul in their lives. And they are disappointed and they are dismayed because life is not going the way that it should. In the the words of Drake, life is just lifing for them. And it does not seem to be going the right way. They're ready to quit. They're ready to wave this proverbial 
white flag, but he tells them, hold on, wait a minute. Don't, don't give up just yet. Know that God hasn't brought you this far. He says, rejoice always. Are you looking at this? He says to them, rejoice always. Look at the semantics of the word. Rejoice, get joy again, but it cannot be found outside of Jesus Christ. It is found only in him. It is harbored, it is housed, it is deposited in him, and we can only withdraw it from him in that moment. He's saying not some superficial kind of, of, of happiness, but something that is deeper, this inner contentment of life that is made by God's grace. He's saying that whenever Jesus enters our lives, he brings a concophony of gifts with him, and one of the gifts he brings is a thing called peace. One of the gifts he brings is a thing called joy. One of the gifts he brings is a thing called grace and mercy and favor and kindness and love and forgiveness. And all of those things cannot be found outside of him. There are some substitutes, but they don't last as long as the eternality of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to them that we ought to have this constant joy that is found not outside of him, but because of him. This joy that draws on God's strength and that is filled with God's hope, he says we can find it there. But here is the question. Am I in sin if I'm ever sad? Am I in sin if I'm ever depressed? Am I in sin if I'm ever cloaked with the garment of anxiety? Am I in sin because I'm struggling with bereavement? That, that ain't rejoicing, that ain't happiness. If grandmama dies, you telling me I should be happy because the person I loved and depend on has gone away, I should really be happy about that? Come on, Paul, let's talk about something that really matters. He says it is because, he says, even Jesus and Paul had some rough days, but they still had the pulse of heaven and they were able to hold on to him. He's letting us know that hard times don't shape us. They don't even define us, but rather they refine us. Your hard times are refining you. They don't define you. They are refining you so that God can use you for a better hope and purpose in your life. What are you going through right now that God's not using to shape you and to make you into who he wants you to be? It's the theological construct of sanctification. How, how can you say that, Brother Young? Because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. Look there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 5. Look at what he says. He says, I want you to engage in this sanctification. This, this thing called sanctification means to progressively become more and more like Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, be ye imitators of Christ. He's saying, I want you to be like Christ, and you can't be like Christ and not go through the things he went through. Disappointment. Real, real enemies and fake friends. Those are the things that Jesus and Paul both went through. Him and John Mark falling out in the midst of their own ministry. He's saying that those things are still paramount. So there is this contrast, but then he says there is this reflection. This church is being persecuted, and they're saying, Paul, that's easy for you to say. You're in Corinth writing this letter, writing from the four seasons, and here we are going through these things. And Paul says, wait, hold, hold on a minute. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. I hope you'll write that down. 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. Consider that with me, if you will. Paul says in the words, since we're talking about Black History Month, in the words of Langston Hughes, life for me ain't been no crystal stare. He said it's had nails in it. It's had holes in it, but I was climbing and trying to reach the top. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. He says that I've been shipwrecked. I've been abandoned. He said they jumped on me so bad I had to get out of town in a wheelchair and they had to let me over the wall in a net. He said I was beat with a cat of nine tails. He said don't think because there's reverend in front of my name and a clergy collar around my neck that things have been good for you, boy. Been rough on me. It's been tough on me, and that's how I can encourage you as students of the word and students of life to know that this thing is. He's saying to us that our joy cannot be totally oblivious to circumstances, but neither should it be governed by it. Can't just sweep them under the rug. So how do I deal with them? I have to have this constant joy, but then look at what he says in verse 17. How else do I move beyond this? How do I have joy for the journey? Secondly, the second movement of the passage is in verse 17, by where he says that there has to be incessant prayer. Incessant prayer. What is he saying in verse 17? He says that there are two things I want us to consider, Dr. Creamer. He says, number one, we have to pray constantly, but then secondly, we have to pray reflectively. Not just saying words that sound cool for our devotional group, prayer, Mark Batterson in his book entitled Whisper, he says, here's what prayer is. Prayer is the difference between the best we can do and the best God can do. What can God do better than you? Fix your problems, hear you out, help you handle your heavy load, help you go through the things and the vicissitudes of life. What can God do better than you? Watch over you, let you get some rest at night because he works the graveyard shift and not you. What can God do better than you? Make your enemies your footstool. What can God do better than you? Give you weeping that might endure for a night, but joy comes in. What can God do better than, than you? Charles Spurgeon, in his book entitled A Letter to His Students, he says that prayer is the nerve that moves the muscle of the omnipotent. You want to see God strong in your life? Pray. Charles Stanley, in his book entitled A Bend in the Road, he says the distance between your problem and your solution is eight inches. He says, because that's the distance between your knees and the floor. Now, if you want things to turn around for you, if you want joy for the journey, he says, you've got to go down on your knees in prayer. Why? He says, because he understands that when we are discouraged and when we are filled and met with uncanny challenges, it's easy to fall into sin. The sin of me doing it on my own. I ain't waiting on God. I got this. I can do it by myself. It is worry. It is the sin of anxiety. 
When God says, don't worry, and we start worrying, we are into sin. It is J.C. Ryle in his book entitled A Call to Prayer. He says that prayer and sinning will never live in the same heart. Prayer will either consume sin or sin will choke out prayer. Can I ask you, what's got a chokehold on your prayer life? How is your prayer life? I'm not just talking about, Lord, thank you for this day. I'm not just talking about over a two-piece and a pepper. I'm not talking about over a mod pizza or a salad. I'm talking about talking to God about the things. And here's what we've got to understand, that prayer is not just God giving us some listening ear. It's really setting God and sicking God on our problems. We're giving them to God, and God then handles our problems. It is Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father to handle the things that are going on in our life. And when you don't know what you ought to pray for, Paul says that the Holy Spirit makes intercession on your own behalf with groans and words that cannot be expressed. So there are times when you just say, hmm, wow, that's dumb. <laughs> that really sucks. The Holy Spirit intercedes and interprets that and gives it to God to say they need help. They're at the end of their rope. They're tired of holding on. They're not getting enough sleep. Anxiety has become a new, a new lover of their soul. He's saying that those are the things that happen, and he's saying that we got to do it without ceasing. It's a Greek idiom, without ceasing. It is a twofold idiom that has military background and it has medical terminology. Without ceasing, he's really saying praying without ceasing is like a hacking cough. You just cough and <coughs> then you <coughs> and then a few minutes later you're <coughs> he's saying our prayer life should be like a nagging cough that a Ricola can't take away and hot tea won't bother. Constant connectivity and communication with God. And when you live long enough, you will understand, but it also has military backing to it. He's talking about without ceasing. He's saying, he's saying to them that they ought to pray so like a military army, the army that doesn't give up. They don't give up until they take over the town. They're coming back tomorrow. They're coming back tomorrow until they finally conquer it. He's saying you got to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back until God fixes that thing for you. Why are you quitting when God ain't through with you? saying you got to do it reflectively because he knows we live in a world that's packed with things that can push God aside what's pushing God aside in your life 
to where there is no semblance of prayer, there is no mention of joy in your life. Paul urges us to bring our lives, our desires, our concerns, our needs before God over and over again until we are constantly and incessantly in his prayers and in his presence. It is H.B. Charles in his book entitled It Happens After Prayer, pastor of the Shallow Church of Jacksonville, Florida. He says, keep praying. Now listen to this. I want you to write this down. He says, keep praying and thank God that his answers to our prayers are wiser than our prayers. You ever ask for something that you know you're not ready for? You ever thought that relationship was one you just had to have? You ever thought that car was a thing you just couldn't live without? You ever thought using that, that AI particular thing for your assignment to turn it in because you ain't had time to format it or put it into Rabian's notes or whatever the case might be? He says to us today, thank God that God's answer to our prayers are better than the prayers we offer. So let me close by telling you that there has to be this inherent development. He says, give thanks in everything. The Greek word empathy. He is saying that there are no limits or confinements or boundaries to the places we can't ask God for thanks. The first two are always dealing with time. Notice what he says, always constantly. But now he moves from time to circumstance. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, he's saying that it is similar to praying without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances on how we should continually connect with God. I hear you saying, but Rev, you don't know what I'm going through. I understand that. But what Paul is sagaciously suggesting to us today is that you don't need to Feel thankful before you are thankful. Let me close by telling you my, about my father. My father has Parkinson's, and when he had gotten the diagnosis about Parkinson's, he was distraught. He was down. He was the one that was giving encouragement, the one that was lifting people up on Sunday morning as the pastor of the Olivet Baptist Church of Austin, Texas. He was the one giving the encouragement, but now he's in the doldrums of life. But he made it one day to one of his deacon's house by the name of Calvin and Myrtle Huspeth of Austin, Texas. He was down. He was discouraged about Parkinson's. He had seen about it. He had heard about it. He had seen the shakes. He had seen the tremors. He had read all these things. He had Googled his symptoms. He had Wikipedia'd himself to death because he was discouraged about the things in life. Went over his deacon's house, Brother Husbeth, and over top of the fridge was a little sign that made him look at things better and helped him have joy for his journey. And that sign said this, try thanksgiving. When you get bad news, try thanksgiving. When your mother says it's cancer and it's stage three, try thanksgiving. 
When they say that the pregnancy is going to have to be terminated because you have preeclampsia and, the, and this will not allow the baby to be born without a skull or without intestines or without the heart outside of the body, try Thanksgiving. When your car stalls on 45 trying to make it to class one day, try Thanksgiving. When things are not going right in your life and you consider Everything that is going on in your life, try thanksgiving. Pray with me if you will. God, today we've tried everything else. We've tried our Apple playlist and our Spotify playlist, but Lord, we want to try thanksgiving. We could do like the old church hymn would say and count our many blessings and name them one by one. So Lord, I pray today that you would help us to have joy for this journey and aid us and abet us through our prayers and through our joy and through all of this, the concophonies of circumstances that we face. God, be glorified in our lives and be exalted in our living. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Let's clap our hands once again for Pastor Young. Pastor Young, feel free to pick any one of those chairs. Thank you, sir. Uh, Pastor One, thank you so much for that very powerful and poignant and uh, relevant word on today. Um, I want to get... Um, into the uh, practicality of what you said mm -hmm. in your closing right. of trying Thanksgiving mm -hmm. in the midst of trouble. What does that look like for a person that has received bad news? Heard the word preached, get that, absolutely get that 110%. When they walk out of Ruth Chapel, mm -hmm. they receive some news. Are we, we're, we're obviously we're not saying, Lord, thank you for the cancer. Right. Or Lord, thank you for an F on this test. Absolutely. But what does that look like from a practical sense as we walk this Christian walk? I think we have to um, give ourselves the 3G test. The first G is, is this causing me to grow? The second G is, is God being glorified? And the third G is, is God still good? And if I can answer yes to any one of those three, then I can put thanksgiving on it. If God is still good, despite the diagnosis, my mother's still here, I'm able to go with her to the doctor's appointments and specialists, I'm able to walk with my wife through the loss of a child or something like that, and then does this glorify God? This, does this help me to become a walking billboard for Christ in his goodness? And then is he glorified through what I'm going through? And I think that's what we have to consider, those three Gs. Am I growing? 
Is God still good? And then most of all, is he glorified through all this? That's powerful. And that's actually confirming, you know, even for me mm-hmm. in my own personal Bible study, you know, just thinking about, okay, mm-hmm. remember, Kendall, God is always good. So obviously, if God is always good, and he is, right. then what I'm going through, mm-hmm. surely he's using this to get the glory. And it's also going to be for my good, which mm-hmm. is in his word. Absolutely. Uh, Pastor, what was it like? for you to attend Criswell College? How did the school prepare you to do the kind of ministry that you're doing? First off, doing it in South in uh, Oak Cliff. Right. So you're south of us right. doing this ministry, but how did Criswell prepare you? It prepared me in so many ways. Um, when we were in chapel, we had to uh, <laughs> wear suits every day. Um, our, our casual day was on Friday. Um, but, but more than that, the street ministry, working and teaming up with Dallas Life Foundation and, and working with those ministries, seeing them hands-on, and then working with Dr. Elmore and Dr. James W. Bryan and Cooper, and them taking us over to First Baptist and teaching us what practical ministry looks like, how to counsel, what you should say, what good bedside manner is, how to baptize one another, how to run funerals and things of that nature. So all of those things were really hands-on with them, especially Dr. Elmore. He was really intricate in that development piece. And then I liked that Chriswell was so small that you could touch the professors and you could speak to them. When I was a student here, Dr. Charles Ryrie was our dean of theology. And so to get a chance to talk to the dude that has a Bible named after him and then to talk with Henry Blackaby and to see them and to physically touch them and they would take out time to talk with you. And Dr. Wells, much like Dr. Creamer, was so available to us as students. He would play basketball with us and he, all those types of things. And so th- those things really helped build community. And as I said in my opening statements that this small place opened up some major doors for myself. And so I am, I'm grateful to God for, for this school. And then also meeting Dr. Chriswell and his wife and to shake their hands and then later in life with his health and all that type of thing and then just being a part of it it was really good to always think about man what a what a jewel chriswell is to to put that kind of time and effort into a person like myself that's powerful the journalist in me wants to ask more questions but i want to give the students room (laughs) because now i got some more questions to follow up with the questions that's powerful anyone else yes I think the, I think, okay, I think the first thing is that, that you have to be honest with God and say, dude, this really sucks. I thought that person was my friend. I never knew that that person was, that, was a closet bigot, or I didn't think that this was a male chauvinistic situation or anti-feminist thing or whatever I'm going through. I think once you give God the emotional part then you're able to reconcile that with the spiritual part and say, okay, I've gotten that out the way. Now let's deal with the basic necessities of life and then begin to just journal those things and then find scriptures that that match that. And if those things don't happen, 
then pray about the things that God has sent to you to develop you. And then I believe there are scriptures that will confirm how you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, and how to develop, and not just develop, but to deploy what has been developed. Because then there are scriptures like Romans 8 and 18, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in him. So there are always going to be confirming words. Genesis 50 and 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for my good. Jeremiah 33 and 3, call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things. Then you have to continue to walk it where he says in Philippians 1 and and 6 where he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then Philippians 3 and 14, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the high calling, which is in Jesus Christ. And so first, I have to give God the emotional side because that's what he made me for. I'm not going to sit up here and say to you that you shouldn't drive home and cry and cuss because that's the truth. There are times when there has to have that, that time because that's how God made us. Those are the things that we're going through, and those are the things that will grow us in that time. But it goes back to that old hymn, be not dismayed, whatever, be tired. God will take care of you. You have to truly know that he is your shepherd. The shepherd keeps you from stuff and keeps stuff from you. That's why he has the rod, and that's why he has the staff. The staff is for you. The rod is from the stuff. So the stuff that comes close is close to you, but it's not closer to you than he is. So you have to understand, he's got the rod and he's got the staff. The stuff is jumping on you, but he's right there with you. So just because you're going through it, he hadn't left you in the midst of it. And that's what you have to understand is that even though it's close, it's not going to be close enough. It, it, it will grab you, but it will not devour you. That's why Paul says, that's why Isaiah says to us in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against us. And then he goes on to solidify it in Isaiah 41 and 10. Listen to what he says. When you walk through the water, you will not drown. There's some stuff you're floundering in. And you're like, this is, I'm going to drown. I'm tired of peddling in this. He says, when you go through the fire, you won't be burned. It's hot. You can feel it. This is something that I'm tangibly going through. But he said, I, the Lord your God, will never never leave you because I am with you no matter where you go. Because Satan's job is is for us to think this. His job is to make us think God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, this wouldn't be happening. But he wants us to know that those things happen so that we can know God is with us in the midst of what's happening. It's happening to you but it will not be the end of what God is doing in you where you're going. So just, just remember those things. So, so give God the emotional stuff. Give that, hey, I got to cry about this. I got to talk about this. This is, this is bugging me. Then there comes a spiritual compartment to it. So there has to be the spiritual side because you cannot divorce the two. They have to be married. They have to be. Um, and so that's what a real relationship looks like with God. Just like any other relationship, there's going to be some days where you can't stand each other. There's some some days where you love each other. And there are days when there's a lot of miscommunication, no communication. You play the silent game and all that kind of stuff. And that's what a real relationship with God is all about. It's a relationship. It's truly a relationship with God. Powerful. With that, thank you so much, Pastor. That was powerful. And let's clap our hands for Pastor Young. (laughs) 
And with that, you're all dismissed. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.